Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. Well, good afternoon, uh, church family. As you can see, we're going to uh, celebrate communion this week. Uh, so take a moment, uh, if you haven't already, to uh, uh, get some juice and some bread. I forgot to bring bread, but I had a little bit of a muffin, so uh, that will be my communion uh, replacement today. Uh, we're in part four of this series using uh, the exile of Israel in Babylon as a metaphor for thinking about the times in which we are living with this pandemic. The first uh, session we talked about going into exile and the, the, the fact that the church had to leave the building and the questions that this had raised for us and the concerns. We talked about grieving exile and doing it in such a way that we recognize and remember God and, and remember that when we groan under whatever we're going through, he groans with us with perfect prayer as his spirit groans. And we know then that God works all things together uh, for good, for, with, and through those who love him and who are called according to his purpose at such a time as this. Last week, we thought about uh, settling into exile's new normal for the long haul, with the hope of Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, resounding in our hearts, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hopeful future. And today we're going to be thinking about, um, in, in light of that, settling in, serving God and country in exile. Now, the thing that I want to talk about today uh, focuses on the cultivation of a good reputation as we serve God and country uh, where we are currently placed. And I wonder, how important is it to you to cultivate a good reputation with people who don't follow Jesus and who may not share some of our values? Now, uh, this past week, or actually tomorrow for me, uh, will be Canada Day, and uh, I pulled up a copy of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which um, expresses, hopefully, um, shared values which we hold as Canadian citizens, and uh, just uh, a couple of pieces uh, from our charter uh, it's very small print, and I don't have my reading glasses, so I'm going to do my best here, but the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in it subject only to such reasonable limits provided by law as can be dem demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. So the freedoms and rights that we have are not, ab not absolute. Uh, there, there was a, somebody touting a sign down in the States that says, my freedom doesn't end where your fear starts, and um, thinking I can just go and flaunt, flaunt the, the uh, best wisdom, not wear a mask, get up within two feet of you and breathe on you, and uh, too bad for you. Uh, terrible sentiment, really. How antithetical to Christ-like love and humility. But reasonable limits here, our charter says. 
as can be justifiably, uh, demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. But we have such freedoms uh, and rights here, the freedom of, of conscience and religion, that's important to us, uh, freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including freedom of the press and other uh, media of communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, uh, such as uh, we have begun to do in our building uh, with um, as many as 36 that have attended over the past uh, three weeks, and we are free to do so, freedom of association, uh, and this document goes on to delineate the kind of rights as well as some of the guardrails that, that uh, seek to make it work for everyone. And um, as Christians, we value these privileges, um, and, and I am certainly of the view that it is super important to cultivate a good reputation, not only among ourselves, but with people who don't follow Jesus and who may not share um, all the values that we espouse. And, and the further question that comes to mind is, what are things that enhance on the one hand or detract from on the other hand? The quality and the credibility of our reputation as Jesus followers in such a time as this. Now, we who live in Aylmer um, have no doubt passed by this sign. It's no longer there. It was taken down maybe a week or so ago. Um, a sign that was in front of the Aylmer Church of God at the right where you turn into their driveway, um, and it's, it's called a sign of the times, and on it, of course, there's a... Um, I think it's a liquor store um, and an abortion clinic and then a church. The first two are open and the church is closed, barred up with a police officer standing in front of it uh, rather menacingly. And the question is, is this indeed a sign of the times? And, and I want to ask what you think when, when you see this sign, what thoughts and feelings do you have? Uh, are you sort of going, well, finally, somebody with the guts to stand up and tell it like it is? Or uh, is that perhaps not what you get from this? What response do you think those who put out this sign intended that you should have? And the question is, is it fair and entirely legitimate? Uh, was church ever deemed non-essential? That's a good question. Or were gatherings over a certain number of people the things that were deemed non-essential? And of course, there were serious inconsistencies, to be sure, uh, with what was open, what was closed, and when you think about liquor stores or, or things like that that are open, frankly, I'm glad that uh, people can go and get their liquor so they're not doing break and enters into everybody's house looking for the stuff. So I have no problem with that, to be perfectly frank and honest. But, you know, what motivated, do you think, the decision by the authorities that this sign is reacting to? 
Were they looking to shut down our freedoms? It was alleged by the pastor of this church that, that perhaps this is, in fact, an attack on our religious freedom that we cannot gather, and so they decided to have their drive-in services, and for a good number of weeks, uh, the Church of God locally defied local and provincial authority as they continued to hold drive-in services when told that they could not do so. Now here's the question, were they justified in so doing? What do you think of the, uh, the, that the wider community opinion of this action was and is? And does that matter? Now I'm not here to tell you what you have to think about this, uh, but this was right before our eyes, right in our community, and it serves as, uh, as something that we can use to think about these questions when it comes to reputation. You may be saying, well, good for them, and uh, certainly um, they are, were all that people that were there honking away their support. They were very happy. Um, was the community, and a community... Uh, full of people who do not follow Jesus, what, what impact has this had on them, do you think? Do they care, or has it soured uh, what they think about Christians and evangelicals in, in particular, as this group was deemed a conservative evangelical church? Now, when it comes to rights, what is the Christian priority? Is it rights or is it responsibilities? Are we ever told in Scripture to stand up for our rights, plant our flag, and, and, and that sort of thing? Or are we called to be people who have responsibilities? And to whom are we responsible? Certainly in a pandemic, surely to one another's health and safety, whether or not we may think it's been overblown. Uh, responsibilities to those in authority? Sure. And is civil disobedience ever uh, warranted? There are biblical examples of that very thing. We'll look at one next Sunday or next Tuesday, as the case may be in my case. Uh, civil disobedience is there, but only when commanded, it seems to me, to stop preaching or acting in the name of Jesus or doing things consistent with the worship of of our Lord and Savior, of our God. Responsibilities we have ultimately to Jesus our Lord to live as his redeemed people in exile, as resident aliens, as some scriptures point out that that is exactly what we are. The truth is, our citizenship is the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of Canada, yes, with charter rights and freedoms, and yet we serve God, and in a very real sense, someone else's country. Um, even though we're citizens, in a sense, we are still, in biblical terms, exiles and resident aliens. Our citizenship is a heavenly one, and, and we are learning and hopefully doing a good job of learning just as Israel's exiles learned to serve God and somebody else's country in exile. And as we serve God and country, we are cultivating a reputation either for or against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. How do you think our kingdom credibility uh, stacks up? How, how is your kingdom credibility uh, your own personal, and what about that of our church? Hold that thought. It's an important question. 
because I'm going to tell you, it matters. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And now we turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar, or Babylon, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. This is the first wave of disbelief. deportations, the first wave of the exile, 605 BC, and in that exile, um, Daniel and his friends were included. The king commanded then to bring, uh, or to commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. And they were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. We are going to give you guys a new purpose and a new narrative and worldview by which to live. And this is a chance you don't want to blow. It's your one chance to adopt a new identity and a destiny in this world. Don't blow it. We're going to give you a new narrative. You see, your God, Yahweh, was not strong enough or even able in any sense to keep you from from us bringing you here, we're, we're telling you that Marduk and his array of, uh, of uh, lower gods has prevailed, and we are giving you a chance to get things right, a new narrative and a new purpose, a new worldview. And um, we're going to look after you and treat you royally. We're going to invest heavily in your success. And as such, the king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. And they were to be educated for three years. This was not a, a Friday night, Saturday seminar. This, this was a full-blown program of re-education so that at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. What an opportunity. And among them, here they are, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And note that each of those names has a, uh, has a component in it that, that points to the God of Israel, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael. There, there is a piece of that name that relates back to Israel's God. And the palace master, though, gave them other names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called, now these are the names we know these guys by, Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And it's, it's as if they're saying, now, guys, give yourself fully to this new destiny that we're preparing you for by uh, not only learning your lessons, but even in terms of your names, embracing your new Babylon God-given, Babylon God-given identity. New names to reflect a new identity, a new narrative, a new purpose. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine, so he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself 
what's going on here? Was pork on the menu or, or some other thing that would make uh, Daniel and his friends ritually and ceremonially unclean? I mean, who in that cluster of, of people, maybe others from Judah, but at that point, did anybody really care? We got a chance for a new life, and, and, and now you're getting all uh, worried about ritual impurity? Those days are over, buddy. And yet, Daniel made a point of it. He cared. Who are you? Who am I? When no one is looking, and maybe even cares. But Daniel understood that his primary responsibility was to the God of Israel, a God whose name was built into his very own name. And he said, I'm not going to go this route. And it says, now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. Who knew that would happen? And the palace master said to Daniel, look, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men your own age, you would endanger my head with the king. And, and then Daniel asked the guard, whom the palace master who had appointed over these guys said, look, I'm, I would, let me propose something. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. To cultivate kingdom credibility, uh, Ask for favor. Ask for favor, even boldly, but also prepared to respectfully accept the results that come and perhaps the consequences that would come. Not demanding your rights, but requesting concessions due to faith and conscience. Uh, I wonder what Daniel and his, and his buddies would have done had the request been denied, but they boldly asked and did so boldly yet respectfully, and they found favor. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men. Fatter? How? I don't know how they got fatter on vegetables. I know how to get fatter on a COVID-19 diet, let me tell you. But vegetables... I, I suspect the word must have a, a, a different connotation than we, we have. But they appeared better, <laughs> there it is, better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. And so the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And to these four young men, God... I've italicized, capitalized, underlined God. God became their instructor. Not, not the Babylonian teachers, but God now has 
taken over the instruction. God became their instructor in uh, helping them to wisely discern truth in light of all the Babylonian stuff that they were exposed to and, yes, had to master. God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. And beyond that, Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. Boy, was that going to come in handy. At the end of the time, the king had set for them to be brought in. The palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I think it's instructive and important that the author here uses their original Hebrew names because it was the God of Israel and not the God or gods of Babylon that had given them success and favor. And uh, no one was found to compare with those who uh, followed and loved and served and trusted God. Uh, the God of Israel, and therefore they were stationed in the king's court in every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the missions and magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there. Talk about longevity. This was 605. Continued there until the first year of King Cyrus, 537 or 8. That's a long time in the service of somebody else's country and, and serving with the reputation that was cultivated. And, and to cultivate kingdom credibility, yes, ask for favor boldly, prepared to respectfully ex uh, ex accept results and consequences, but then build on your reserve of favor with consistent excellence. Consistent excellence. Hey, you just might need that favor when crisis comes. And crisis did come in this case, for as we move into Daniel 2, uh, we read that in the second year of Neb's reign, he dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and he, his sleep left him, the dream that became a nightmare, and he commanded that the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. Now remember that Daniel and his friends are found ten times better than any of these other guys. But maybe there was a pecking order. Maybe these other guys had seniority and they're brought in and they stood before the king and he said to them, I've had such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. And they said to him, O king, live forever. That's what you always say to the king. Tell your servants the dream and we'll reveal the interpretation. But the king answered, this is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, your houses will be laid in ruins, but if you tell me, I'm going to lavish you with gifts and honor and all the rest of it. Why do you think Nebuchadnezzar was playing hardball here? Did he suspect that his wise men just wanted to tell him what he thought, what they thought he wanted to hear? Did he suspect that they were phonies? Did anything in the dream, perhaps, that maybe uh, impressions that were left in his, his mind, although he couldn't remember the, the content so much, uh, suggest, or maybe he did remember, of course he did, uh, because he's asking them to tell it what it is, so he knows what it is, so sure he knew. Did anything in the dream suggest to him a plot against him and that maybe they were involved? Don't know. Speculation. But they said a second time, let the king first tell 
this servant's the dream. Then we can give the interpretation. The king says, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time. No kidding. Because you see, I have firmly decreed. So if you don't tell me the dream, the, the dream, there's only one verdict for you. You have agreed and colluded and conspired to speak lying and misleading words to me until things take a turn. Tell me the dream. Giving you another chance. And they said, there's, there's no one on earth who can reveal what the king demands. No king, however great or powerful, has ever asked such a thing. The thing that the king is asking is too difficult, and no one can reveal it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Stick around a couple of 500-so more years, 600 years, and you'll find that just the opposite would be true as the word became flesh and dwelt among us and revealed God's glory and his grace and his truth. Because of this, the king flew into rage and commanded that all these guys be destroyed. The decree was issued. The wise men were to be executed. And now they were looking for Daniel and his companions to execute them because they were part of the, part of the group. And Daniel responded with prudence. No kidding and discretion to Arioch. He's talking to the king's chief executioner. The guys come with an axe to chop his head off or, or whatever his method of execution. Remember the favor that Daniel had, a reserve of favor. And he, he asked, why is this decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch explained the thing. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time, and he would tell the king the interpretation you might just need that reserve of favor. And Daniel is banking on that, but there's more that he needs. And it says that Daniel went to his home and formed, here they are again, with their proper God-given, God-honoring names, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. Uh, nobody should have to die here. Cultivate kingdom credibility. Uh, part, of the, part of that mix is, is prayer, praying for clear and compelling vision and wisdom. And there's only one source for that. The, the wise men uh, without Daniel present before the king were absolutely right. Only the gods, no, only the God uh, can give that. Without vision, people perish, literally, in this case. And as they prayed, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and he, he praised this beautiful prayer of, of thanksgiving and of honor to the God who reveals hidden things and gives wisdom and has revealed what the king uh, has demanded and we read then that Daniel went to Arioch, the Lord High Executioner, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He said to him, do not do that. Bring me in before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. <laughs> Step up and lead, and accept the risk others run from. Build on that reserve of favor with consistent excellence, integrity, and God-given wisdom. And Daniel did just that. 
Arioch goes to the king. He says, I found a man among the exiles of Judah, one who can tell the king the interpretation. And the king said to Daniel, and now he's going by the Babylonian name, hey, Belteshazzar, have you got the goods? Are you able to tell me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or diviners can show the, the king the mystery that he is asking for. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to the king what will happen at the end of the days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these. Now, this was indeed Daniel says, this request is above all of our pay grades, but my God is, is able to reveal that which is beyond finding out. And uh, then Daniel, who has asked for favor, been respectful, built a reservoir of favor with excellence and integrity, who has prayed for compelling vision and wisdom, who has stepped up to lead now, is now able to speak respectfully, respectfully, convincingly, and indeed prophetically to power. Now, when opportunity is afforded, or sometimes you make the opportunity, have you ever written to your MPP, your MP, or your prime minister, or your premier? And if so, with what tone, as you have a concern, in what tone and with what attitude do you lay it out are you able to speak as daniel did respectfully convincingly making the best argument and indeed speaking prophetically to those in power in such a way that it's possible they may be receptive now this dream and the interpretation of it are beyond the scope of this message That'll be for another day. But right past the dream and its interpretation to verse 46, which delineates the results of Daniel's speaking convincingly, respectfully, and prophetically to the power um, of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that he fell on his face, worshiped Daniel. <laughs> oh boy, what's Daniel going to do now? And commanded the grain offering and incense be offered to him. And then the king said, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Understand what's happening here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is responsible uh, to Marduk, the uh, head of the Babylonian pantheon of gods, but he has just acknowledged that there is a God greater and wiser than Marduk, the God of Israel. He has attributed this to him. And furthermore, it says he promoted Daniel, gave him gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel, building on that uh, credit that he had, made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That way they could stay kind of close, and Daniel remained at the king's court. More honor and favor, which was indeed a rich resource for future crises that would come. Cultivating kingdom credibility is, is the point of this message praying for clear and compelling vision and wisdom on the uh, foundation of favor, which has 
been, as it were, earned uh, by the way that Daniel and his friends conducted themselves, stepping up and leading and speaking respectfully, convincingly, and prophetically to power. What a reputation they had with Nebuchadnezzar and how that enhanced the reputation of their God, which is the point. Now listen, how would you characterize your reputation or our AEMC reputation with those that we work with, play with, uh, gather with, uh, whatever, who, who do not follow Jesus? And the question becomes, is the reputation which we are cultivating potentially drawing them to Jesus or driving them away because we are unduly concerned for our own rights and freedoms and not concerned enough with our responsibilities to love and care for others in the way that we conduct ourselves in this particular season that is upon us? Are we drawing people or driving them away? And what happens, though? There may come a time, indeed, if we do have to take an unpopular stand, if we do have to stand on principle and even engage in civil disobedience, if we are required in some way to deny our faith, to cease preaching and working and doing anything in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, what if we were required to sacrifice our essential convictions on the altar of acquiescence to authority. Authority that has arrogated to itself uh, that which goes beyond the charter of rights because it begins with these words, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. But what if those in authority deny the supremacy of God, and arrogate to themselves the capacity to decide what will be the rule of law? And what if that comes against and and forces us to take a stand, unpopular though it will be? Will we be able to resist caving, to resist assimilation on pain of persecution or even death? Daniel 3 might just have some guidance for us. And to that we turn next time. But for now, as we honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and recognize that for our sakes, he was disobedient to the authorities of his day as he proclaimed in word or deed the kingdom of God and as he proclaimed that We should repent and believe the good news that that kingdom has dawned. And as he, in the upper room with his disciples, took bread and wine and instituted that which we know now as the Lord's Supper, where he took the Passover of Israel, a a celebration of liberation, and turned it into a celebration of, of our liberation from the kingdom of darkness and our entrance by way of the shed blood of Jesus and his body given over to death, our entrance into the kingdom of the Son of God. And so I, I ask you now to take the bread and with me share in this this participation in the body of Jesus given over to death for us. And as we do, we recognize, as he said, this is my body given for you. 
do this, eat this, in remembrance of me, let us eat together. He took the cup and declared that this cup was now the new covenant in his blood, blood shed for the forgiveness, the remission of sins, blood shed that the realities of his kingdom, a kingdom that came not by violence perpetrated against the oppressors, but it was violence perpetrated upon the king himself, and in so taking on all the violence and the sin of the world, he absorbed it and obliterated it. And now, even the last enemy, death, is going down. He has destroyed death and brought life and immortality, delight through the gospel. And as we drink, we affirm all of that. So with me, drink this cup of the new covenant and celebrate your forgiveness and your participation in his blood-bought kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank you for your shed blood, your body given over to death, that we might be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred fully into the kingdom of yourself, a kingdom which has been inaugurated and, and which is now at work, but we await the consummation of it. And you yourself said that there will be a day that we will eat and drink with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb in the fully realized kingdom of God and of heaven. And so we anticipate that. We thank you for your, your sacrifice for us. We thank you for your word, which, which gives us our, as it were, marching orders for the day and time in which we live. May we honor you. May we cultivate reputations which draw rather than repel people from you, which draw them to you, even as you on the cross were seeking to draw all people to yourself. And we would wish to and desire to align with your purposes for this time. And so we give you thanks. Keep on speaking to us, encouraging us, giving us insight and wisdom for this day. May we not be strident or angry or upset, but, but motivated by the fact that you have not surrendered control and that you are working all things for good for, with, and through we who love you and are the called according to your purpose. May it be so for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.